Oh goodie. Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. Jane Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the Good morning, everyone. Welcome to MJ Network. MJ, in memory of my sister, Marsha Joyce. It's freezing outside, but the rain stopped. So that's a good sign, right? And I am so excited that the author of The Last Horseman is Bear Robert. Hi, good morning. How are you? We're going to try to do this over again. Well, I'm, I'm pleased and uh, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm just fine and I'm evidently, I'm, it's not raining here, so I'm, I think I'm better off. Well, we we had a snowstorm the other day, which is very upsetting because I couldn't get my hair and highlights and colors done, but I got them done yesterday. So they're ah, purple, blue, good. gold, green, and yellow, and all different colors. They're going to be different in this world. So well, they are, we're going to talk about that The Last show. Horseman. And um, I'm very proud to announce, I just put it on Facebook, that on November, uh, February 28th, people that have new titles, uh, you're welcome to come on and talk about the new title, because I'm going to talk about mine. And I just got a compliment from one of my students that says that, he wants to put somebody in touch with me because I was his teacher, and she's an author. So she might come on, too. So here we go. Eddie, Eddie Logan is a horse trainer down on his luck because he refuses to be part of the small crowd of horsemen who rig races. Spurred by his greedy business partner, he goes against his, his nature and the law in the, hope, in the hope of winning a big one, but he doesn't. And everything turns sour. And I won't tell you why. This is a true story, right? That uh, really based happened? Based on a true story. It yeah, it's based, based on a true on story. Based on a true story. And most of the things, uh, most of the uh, anecdotes or, or, uh, and characters and so on are real. That, that is amazing. That is really amazing. <laughs> yeah. So what made you decide to share this story? With everybody, uh, I I'm a storyteller, and I have I told this story uh, one day. It just in a meeting where I didn't have any anything any comments or remarks prepared, and uh, my comment to this group who I didn't know was that. Uh, they asked me to tell me tell them something about myself, and my response was, "Well, uh, my mother won my college education." That is so cool. And uh, as a as an illegal gambler, uh, that's even better. And <laughs> and, uh, and then I went on to start to tell about my qualifications to be in this to be speaking to them. Uh, you know, background in ad agencies and PepsiCo and so on. Mm. 
And they stopped. This one woman stopped me and said, no, no, forget about that. We want to hear about this thing about your mother. And that's what started it. And uh, I decided to write it then. But I've always loved telling stories and reading stories, uh, great stories. So, And, and I, I truly believe this is a good story. I think it's a great story. It's funny because your publicist said to me, you know, I love Courtney. And what I love about Courtney is that she answers right away, not five days later, and which is really great. And she she told me this, and I'm looking at got the book, and I go, oh, wait a minute. I, I just couldn't put it down. That's even worse because I got eye strain, which is fine. But <laughs> y- your your mother sounds like my mother. And you never knew what she was going to come up with to get everybody in trouble, mainly me. So how did the first scene in the prologue sort of sets the tone? Tell us about um, Eddie Logan and Clancy and how, what happened to the poor man? Ah, uh, it's hard to see your parents as people. Uh, see them as as your parents, as people who uh, raise you and guide you and uh, tolerate Uh you and so on. Eddie Logan, (laughs) uh, well, let me me start with Clancy, uh, this horse in this case, is sort of the embodiment of a good horse that's being brought along at a pace to try and keep him racing through the season rather than getting used up or overworked or peaking too soon. And that's that's part of the uh, running story throughout the book is you have a choice. You can train a horse so it lasts for the season, or you can train a horse so that it wins quickly and then goes lame or uh, breaks down or you end up having to give him drugs or race him in a way that performs beyond his capabilities, and he goes lame or worse. So Eddie Logan is a, is a man from another time almost. He's a man of the 50s and 60s who doesn't believe in uh, – actually, what he believes in, first off, is his love of horses. And I, I think I did a poor job, honestly, in the book, describing that uh, as I look back on it. But he absolutely loved horses, and he didn't want to hurt them. Other characters in the book see horses as simply a vehicle, and they use them, use them up, and walk away. For Eddie, these horses were not a vehicle. They were something to be cherished and cared about. So that's that's sort of the the foundation. And Clancy is an early example of uh, Mm. a horse that he cared about and who had a a great talent, uh, as as you uh, mentioned earlier, as you mentioned in questions uh, you sent me. Uh, Yeah. He... uh, Clancy, Eddie discovered that Clancy had the ability to sprint. And he could do it once, maybe twice in a race. 
but he could sprint. He could go like the wind. And uh, so Eddie knew that was his secret sauce. And uh, he wanted to use him that way. Well, Clancy sort of like had a premonition. He's sort of like a person that was psychic, in a sense, like a psychic was. He sort of knew. He just felt it. Mm -hmm. He did. And later on in the book, there's a horse named Skipper Creek, uh, Mm -hmm. who really becomes a a huge part of the focus of the book. But uh, Mm -hmm. Skipper Creek is a horse that has great personality and... Uh, and great drive, drive that you just don't see in many other horses. And so when you have drive and talent, uh, boy, that's a great combination, and Skipper Creek had, had both of those. So the, if, let's say, for example, when I'm, I'm adding something here, that's just, just me, let's say a driver, you know, the horse wins at the end, but the driver, does he have to look for another horse? Does he have to look for another one? Or does he get the same one back to try in another in a more competitive race? That's a great question. Uh, it's I just thought of it. You know, this, <laughs> uh, this, is, uh, this is standard bread racing, which is trotters and pacers that race, you know, mm-hmm. at Yonkers and uh, the Meadowlands and so on. Then there's thoroughbred racing. Thoroughbred racing, uh, the jockey, uh, or in standard bread racing, he's called the driver. But in, in thoroughbred racing, the jockey doesn't have any right to the horse. In, thorough, or in, in uh, standard bread racing, the driver is typically the trainer as well. That's not always the case, but it typically is. So he's more likely to be able to have that horse um, uh, in his stable and race him consistently throughout the year. Every now and then, an owner uh, moves, moves the horse away, but it usually involves taking him away from the stable. So anyway, uh, did I answer your question? I, I think I did, but I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, uh, if, if the horse wins or loses, uh, you are uh, just going to have to face the next race and try and do better. Well, what happens? And the pay goes down too, doesn't it? If he loses? Yes. Uh, in... In most situations, the driver gets a percentage of the winning of the horse. So if the horse wins, the driver gets more money. Uh, That's his incentive. If the horse doesn't win, uh, the driver gets less. Uh, And uh, the first five positions in a race... uh, all get decreasingly, but all get uh, a little bit of the first. Um, the the thing is, the, the dishonest drivers and trainers in my story have seen that winning the race and uh, winning the race is not nearly as lucrative 
as illegally betting on the race, mm-hmm. um, fixing the race, fixing the race, and then illegally betting on it. That's better said. Um, and so uh, that's what they do. And they bet on the race. I, they're not allowed to, but they got caught. Yes, they did. I haven't been uh, to the racetrack. I don't like it that much. But, yeah, they bet on the race. But then when they do something, like you said, they get boxed in so that the other drivers get ahead and you can't get out, does that mean that they're actually doing that because they fixed the race? In some cases, yes. Uh, In Mm. other cases, uh, you know, uh, that's actually a great question. In some cases, that happens accidentally. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's on you as the driver. Uh, you you shouldn't have gotten boxed in. Um, however, in races that are fixed, in races that are used for gambling, mm. you you conspire. You being an evil person, you conspire to um, box somebody in because that person is your competition and Mm. you want to try and limit the competition as much as you can. So you use a horse uh, that perhaps hasn't done as well as it could have uh, or should have for many reasons, and then you use that horse to win with and the other horse's Box you. The other drivers box you in with their horses, keep you from winning, and then they all share in uh, a, a share of the gambling revenue. Um, that's that's a big part of what happens. And though I explained it poorly right there, uh, it's explained <laughs> far better uh, in the book. Uh, and it, it no, I, I understand it. It's just that I've seen it. I mean, I, w- I went to the racetrack when I was younger, whenever. And I, I, never, I never really liked it. My cousin loves it. And I would look at the horses and I would say, well, number four is going to win. And then all of a sudden, number one from the back comes. So I wondered, did he purposely slow down? You just don't know. So here comes the other horse. What's my favorite thing? I, I have a thing for coffee. So tell us about Coffee Break, and what does Ailey notice about him? And why did he have to take the name Coffee Break? I mean, coffee is my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> well, for real, people try and name had four today horses. so far. <laughs> well, wow, it's uh, it's early. You uh, you're gonna be. I have to, I have to stay be... stay awake. <laughs> That's okay. Um, <laughs> coffee Break uh, is just the name of a horse. Uh, as you know, that people try and name them clever names, like they do boats. Uh, but uh, Coffee Break was a horse that hadn't done very well, and mm. suddenly he does very well, and he does very well in a race that Eddie was in, and and Eddie was the favorite in the race. That is, the his horse had the best odds and should and was expected to win and didn't mm. because coffee break won. 
So coffee break had higher odds um, because he was not expected to win. He was, Eddie was boxed in with his horse and coffee break won. But I, I, that's, co- that's amazing. Well, it, it happens. Uh, not often, mm. but it does happen. And he was clearly, uh, you know, he had been drugged. He raced far faster than he was expected to or should have. Uh, and um, when he got back to the paddock after the, after winning the race, two things happened. Uh, coffee break won. And Eddie got punished. Uh, yeah. So uh, the other driver won and uh, with his horse, and Eddie did not win with Clancy and was punished. So this just is another emotional and professional wound for Eddie. And then, of course, I won't give it away, but you know, terrible things happened to Coffee Break. Yeah, I know. That that was really sad. I felt bad for him, especially because his name was Coffee Break. And I felt bad because <laughs> after they have a race, because I remember this, you know, it's usually I read a book and I forget it, and then I have the questions and I go, oh, yeah. No, this one I didn't forget. <laughs> what happens um, after the race and Coffee Break wins or Eddie's horse loses, whatever, do they check to see if the horse was drugged or anything to make sure that nothing nothing's was tampered with, and who is the rotten Leo Roberts? Well, okay, two questions. First, yes, they do check. Uh, they check the saliva and the urine for the horse. So the horse is mm-hmm. brought back into a, a sort of a holding area called paddock, and uh, they uh, he is he is they take a swab of uh, his cheek uh, saliva. And uh, that's mm. called a spit, spit test. Uh, he takes a test, and then he uh, takes a um, urine test. Uh, and there are some cases where they actually take a blood test as well, but that's really not a part of this. Uh, anyway, uh, so yes, they are tested. However, if the people testing the horse are mm-hmm. in on the scheme then suddenly those tests are going to be uh, found uh, uh, to be tampered. They are going to be tampered with. I'm just not speaking very well. They are going to be tampered with, and uh, those people, just like the drivers in the race, are going to be compensated for uh, contributing to the cheat. So... uh, Ooh. Yes, they are tested. And Leo Roberts, uh, who is sort of Eddie's nemesis, but Leo Roberts, uh, he is everybody we've ever met who cheats, who, are, who doesn't care about the rules, who mm. doesn't care about the long term, so long as the short term is successful. Um he works to get Tom's horses, then loses them. But for Leo, another horse will always come along. He's only defeated by his own hubris. 
Um, yeah, he's evil. He's evil. So and, now we have. Uh, go on. No, no, I, I, yeah. Please. Now we have another evil person that I really didn't like. Tom Parker, and mm-hmm. he makes a deal with Eddie. But who is Tom Parker? Why does he yield so much power over Eddie? And why doesn't Eddie just just punch him in the head and tell him to get lost? <laughs> well, because Tom is Eddie's future. Eddie is relying mm-hmm. on his sacrifices to pay for his future. Uh, Eddie is old school and honest and willing to sacrifice. Tom is modernity uh, and uh, willing to take advantage of others, especially Mm. when faced with opportunity. And in the process, he takes advantage of Eddie and crushes his dreams and breaks his heart. So uh, Tom is a a very successful and very wealthy man uh, who um, has has found a way to make money on the horses in the right way on a long term and then sees an opportunity to make money on the horses on a shorter term and he Mm -hmm. takes that opportunity. That is scary. Now tell us about Tom's wife. I love the girl. She's amazing. I mean, Doug, uh, local, uh, Eddie's wife, Jean. Oh, yeah. Uh, simply said, Jean is my mom. And as sort of serendipity, uh, Jean comes across Becky after Eddie gets suspended uh, for not winning the race. Yes, they can do that. And uh, she's concerned about money. She's concerned about uh, the stable. And uh, But in most ways, she's just an average mis- Midwestern woman uh, mm-hmm. who uh, suddenly connects moments that lead to an opportunity. I have a I had a an acquaintance years ago who told me she didn't believe in being at the right place at the right time. Uh, and and I said it's how can you not believe in that? It's like gravity. It's it's just there. Yeah. And she said, No, I believe you're at the right place at the right time many times. It's She's recognizing right. you're there and having the wit to seize upon it. And that's what Jean does. She recognizes, she connects the disparate moments that lead to an opportunity and realizes that she connected them and realizes what that opportunity means. And then, frankly, is somewhat shocked. It turns out as lucrative as it was. Um, that's the part I and, like the best. Uh, she, and uh, she's practical and smart, and mm-hmm. uh, she this she is sort of one of the original empowered women. Um, 
And she does it because she needs to. Becky does it because they was fun. So uh, they're two very different people, great friends, uh, and two very different people. I wonder if anybody else, I mean, I think that's fantastic that she thought about it. And sometimes people realize they're in the right place at the right time, but they're afraid to do anything about it. And Jean didn't hesitate to do anything. So she had a plan, and she bet on three different types of races, the Exacta, Quinella, and Perfecta. So how did she come up with this plan? And when things are rigged, aren't there any hindrances? No, they didn't realize that, that she was winning all this money, did they? Nobody even saw it. No. That's no, a good part. Nobody realized. No, nobody realized. That's so cool. Uh, he didn't realize yeah, it either. Uh, uh, at, and in fact, her husband Eddie never knew. Um, no, he didn't. About her gamble. <laughs> uh, that was a. And frankly, that was a big surprise to me when I finally confronted her and said, "How did?" How did we live on the income that we had and so on because mm-hmm. we didn't have that many horses and so on? And she explained. She first brushed me off, but then eventually I, I persisted, and she explained it. And Eddie never knew, never, ever throughout his life knew. If he had known the kind of person he was, if he had known, he would have stopped her. And he would have asked her to return the money if she could. She couldn't have, but uh, he would have asked her to return the money. And uh, he would have put an a, a immediate stop, full stop, to what she was doing. I'm uh, glad they didn't. And, <laughs> and uh, if the racing community found out, he would have oh, God. faced a, life, a lifetime suspension. Well, I remember that this was proves I really do remember the book is about. She goes up to bed at different windows, right? Different amounts. Yes. So Becky does some that nobody realized it until all of a sudden she's talking to somebody and she was worried that the guy behind the booth was going to hear what she was saying. But she was clever enough mm-hmm. to cover in her footsteps, which is really cool. So let's get to back to Eddie and Tom. Tom had no no nothing, no gumption. So Eddie decided he was going to, you know, ditch him for a while. But we, we, I mean, seriously, because why was Tom so unfeeling and threatening to Eddie? But he took away all of his horses, didn't he? Because yes, he wouldn't he play ball with him. Yeah. Uh, all the other drivers and owners uh, of horses, the trainers, drivers, owners. They were, many of them were doing well, especially the one, in this case, uh, uh, Leo, who was actively trying to get Tom's horses away from him, yeah. uh, or away from Eddie, and he did so sort of with the promise of winning and making a lot more money. At one moment, we became, Tom became faced with having to pay a huge amount in taxes. 
from his other businesses. And so he asked Eddie to cheat and win for him so that he could uh, so that he could pay his taxes. And well, that is that's sad. And Eddie, he he asked Eddie to cheat, and Eddie had refused all of this before. And Tom, or yes, Tom was somewhat desperate. He really wasn't, but he felt he was desperate and wanted to uh, wanted to make a lot of money in a short time. And he asked Eddie to cheat. And finally, because Eddie saw that his career and his earnings were declining, he agreed to cheat. One time, he agreed to cheat. And you get caught. And it backfired. And uh, uh, he, at that point... Tom had lost faith in Eddie. Eddie hadn't won, and Tom took his horses and gave them to Leo, as Leo had been encouraging Tom to do anyway. So he gave his horses to Leo, and that took away Eddie's future. It took away Eddie's presence in the horses. Yeah. And it... It also took away Eddie's future because Tom did not honor their agreement. And now this, this, legally, it's this really didn't have sad. That's that's sad. The sad part is is that Eddie really didn't see it coming. What well, he did, he just ignored it. And then his wife and Becky. Did that? That was unbelievable how they did that. And there was a whole bunch of other drivers, and he was he was racing Clancy at the time, right? Uh, no. Was he racing uh, well, a different horse? Was he, he racing, racing Coffee Break? No. Well, Leo was racing Coffee Break. Eddie yeah. started with Clancy, but then Clancy went to Leo's stable when Tom gave all of his horses to Leo. Um, Eddie was racing a different horse whose name unfortunately I can't remember uh, but Eddie was racing a different horse and that's the one mm. he lost with and um, got caught didn't get caught really but lost with and then lost all of his horses that was sort of the cascading moment when everything went wrong for Eddie uh, really really wrong and I I've got to step back for a moment. You know, mm. I, I've done other interviews, and Uh-oh. many of the people <laughs> haven't read the book. Uh, they just ask the same questions over and over. It's clear you have read this book. Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> really digested it. I'm, I'm, I'm really stunned by that because it's, it's frankly somewhat unusual and and. Very, very pleasant that I get to talk about the book, not sort of high-level questions. And I'm not criticizing those high-level questions, but clearly oh. you've read this book. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having read well, it. Well, you got two um, people to blame. One was my mother, who made me read too much, I remember. 
and the other is the person that actually taught me how to understand more than what's on the surface, and that's my reading professor. So when I got my reading, first reading class and my got my reading masters, I realized I was set. And now um, Dr. Cavuto and I do uh, seminars every couple of months on different topics and how to teach people to do what I ought to do. And next, in April, we're going to do one on artificial in, uh, intelligence and reading. So we've been doing a lot like that. He did a good job, yeah. <laughs> but you know well, what? I read the book, and then I say to myself, what is the author really trying to say that nobody else is going to see? Because everybody asks, why did you write the book? Who, are the Who cares? But why did you, what is he trying to say? So this has bothered me, too. I mean, Eddie is a loyal person. But the primary owners can drive life, can a driver life could end at any minute. There's no loyalty, right? There's no. nothing. And then there was a tragedy in the book, right? That really bothered me a lot. And that was because the the guy didn't perform the way they wanted, right? Yes. And uh, in in this case, it was Eddie who didn't perform the way he yeah. wanted, and that tragedy was the real beginning of the end uh, or what seemed to be the end in uh, Eddie's career and that's where he was left with just a couple of horses but he was left with the the great horse Dipper Creek yeah uh, he was cool yeah he was a he was a great horse and he had uh, and he's actually that's actually a true horse's name and he was one of our horses uh, sort of compiled from a couple of different ones, but he had great personality and uh, he was fun to be around and he he lived life fully. Of course, uh, he had a great time and uh, uh, and he loved racing and loved to win and knew that he was winning. Uh, you know, horses really know a lot. And Skipper Creek knew that he was winning. And uh, he knew that he was performing well. And he was smart as can be. And uh, so how did, how did races, Gene and yep. Becky get away with betting all the money? Did they bet on Super Creek? And then they bet on other horses and nobody realized. Is there a limit to how much you can bet? That's what I thought. No. I mean, can you go over and tell the teller I want to bet a million dollars on number four? I don't think they're going to let you do that. Well, not at that teller. Uh, they may let yeah. you do it, you know, privately. Uh, you know, yeah. they'll take you to a different place and you got to produce the mm-hmm. money and all. But um, the the law is that you cannot, or at least it used to be, if you win more than $1,400, you have mm. to declare that to the IRS. And Gene mm. realized it was important to not have a declaration to the IRS, to not have a paper trail. And uh, their whole plan would have gone awry if they had had to pay taxes. Uh, so they didn't. So what they did was they figured out the odds so that they would always win less than $1,400. And then they would cash their winnings in at multiple windows, multiple cashiers. Mm. 
so that nobody ever suspected that they were winning large amounts of money. So that is uh, amazing. they were very clever. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah I know. And this was this was just a plain old ordinary looking. Well, actually, it's for free, but uh, this was just a plain old Midwestern American housewife uh, and school teacher. You know, you wouldn't know that this is the person she was. But she, we're pretty clever educators, trust me. We really are, seriously. You, you really are. And we really are pretty clever a, educators, trust me. They, they, they misjudge us, but you never know what we're going to pull off, really. Well, certainly this is a case, sort of the original, one of the original stories of women's empowerment. Yeah. But here's a, here's a story of a woman who outsmarted the system, outsmarted yeah. her husband, outsmarted. Uh, the you know the other people in the races, uh, mm-hmm. she outsmarted everybody and won a lot of money. Millions of yeah. well, she did. <laughs> but, but I think the last scene was like the best. So we have the Brown Jug Works. That's the next race. But Becky and Jean had to be careful because they had to know who to trust. She had to be really careful. So they had the brown jug, but the, the guy I like the best is Whitey. Why was he so invaluable to Eddie? And he didn't desert him. No. And Whitey is based on a real person that I knew. Oh, good. Um, and uh, he was a very loyal man. He was. I think he was the man that Eddie aspired to be. He was also one of the uh, most brilliant horsemen that ever lived. And in fact, if I can digress for one moment, when I was a kid, I would be around Whitey, and uh, Mm. uh, that wasn't his name, but I would be around him and uh, he would, you know, explain things and talk to me. He didn't really talk to me all that much. He mostly yelled at me, uh, <laughs> and I deserved it. But uh, uh-huh. and I remember years later, or a few years later, no, maybe it was around that time. Anyway, uh, I remember somebody said to me, "You know, Whitey is a whisperer." Mm. And, uh, and I know what that is. <laughs> I I remember thinking at the time. I've never heard him whisper. He only yells at me. I don't know what this whispering is about. And then it was years later when I read the book, The Horse Whisperer, that I realized there was a different tone to that. There was a whole different meaning to being a whisperer. And indeed, he was a whisperer. And the horse loved him, partially because he gave him candy, but uh, the horses loved him. And Eddie loved him. And I think he was ultimately the man that Eddie aspired to be. Never thought of that until just now. But I think he was. And um, uh, he was just a terrific guy. And very, very, uh, he loved horses the way Eddie loved horses. And he talked to them the way Eddie talked to horses. Uh, Great guy. (laughs) Yeah, Iris Johansson wrote one and about a Margaret that was a horse whisperer. That was the best part of the book. 
and that the horses understood and knew what not to what not to do. So you have this race, and Eddie, we're not going to say whether he wins. How did you create what Eddie was able to do that no one else could do during the race? I was, like, galloping with him. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, and I, I don't go on horses unless they are so slow that they only just walk very slowly, maybe 10, 10 minutes a second. So how did you create that race? I was like, oh, my God, is he going to fall off the horse? Uh, and actually, uh, those events, they were, those events happened. And, really? Uh, oh, God. When I was... When I was a kid, and I would train horses, uh, um, you know, during the week or on weekends or whatever, I would be training the horses. There was there were a couple of times when I did what Eddie did, and mm. I won't say what he did, but I did what Eddie did. The outcome oh, cool. was not nearly as positive as Eddie's because, partially because. The horses were not as smart. Gifford Creek was smart. And when he wanted to win, he want, he loved racing. He wanted to win. And he didn't like it when other horses underperformed or were mm-hmm. unpleasant. Uh, and there's even a moment in one of the races where, and it, and, and it happened or after a race, when uh, he bit another horse. That had. Uh, yeah, I remember. You know, and uh, you know, Skipper Creek was like that. If he didn't like you, or he felt you, you know, did something to him that he thought was inappropriate, uh, he would retaliate. Um. Anyway, uh, the the story is the the story of that last race is all accurate is all you know those things all happened um and they didn't have they may not have happened in that race but they all happened and it was you know <laughs> quite a, a quite an extraordinary series of disconnected events that all came at that moment to allow Eddie to say, I'm not going to over-race this horse. I'm not going to hurt this horse. And then he did what he did. I mean, before I forget, this is going to be brave. Really? <laughs> For real. Monday, I hope I can do this. The author lives in England, and I'm going to try to call him on my cell phone, which connected this morning to see if I could do the interview on my cell phone with him connecting because I don't think blogs will let you call out of the country. So, Peter James, stop them dead. Let's pray hard. On the 6th, we have uh, Tara Bay. On the 8th, we have New York Times author Jean Letoile and Face of Greed. On the 12th, what happened to you happened to poor Michelle Cameron. We're going to do her next. On the 20th, a master of Salamander. On the 26th, I'm waiting to see who's going to be braver. Oh, that, that would be David Putnam. And on the 28th, I'm waiting to see who's brave enough to come on and talk about their book and their new characters with me. Now, two characters we have a few minutes that we need to talk about are Gwen 
and Rita, how did they team up, and what was their deal? They teamed up at the end, and uh, yeah. um, uh, Gwen was a, a a reporter who was observingly looking for a good story, and was assigned to the to cover the this race, which was just another race. Uh, it actually isn't if you're in the horse business, but for her it was just another assignment. Mm. Gwen is a woman scorned. Uh, or no, I'm sorry, uh, Rita is a woman scorned. Um, and uh, Rita is you know, based on somebody that I knew a long time ago, um, and whose name is Rita, actually. Uh, and um, she was not like this, but... Rita is actually she is like this in that she's a really decent, good person, mm. but um, she's doing a bad thing. Mm. So she realizes what she has done and that it's a bad thing, and she agrees to. Uh, she agrees to reveal what was going on in racing. And recently in thoroughbred racing, there have been many, many deaths of racehorses. Uh, yeah. And some trainers have been um, banned from tracks and are being uh, uh, investigated for cheating and using drugs and so on. That that sort of thing does go on, not all the time, but it does go on. Yeah. And this this will become a big story, or can become a big story. Rita is the person who sort of embodies hell hath no fury, like a woman scorned, and. Uh, she speaks with uh, Gwen to explain the race, and then at the end tells Gwen there's a bigger story here, and that she's actually through the book she might be seen as a terrible person. I never yeah. thought she was, but. She just she just made a bad choice, and she wants to rectify it for her own reasons, but she wants to mm-hmm. rectify it, and she does. But then there's Leo Roberts and Eddie. So how did you create the final scenes, and what does Eddie think? We're not going to say what happens, but how does Eddie, how does Eddie react? How does he find out? The truth about what his wife did, which I think is so cool. I could have well, taken, I'd love to have some lessons on how to do that. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, uh, what happens is he finds out that somehow she 
I don't want to give the end of the book away. No, don't. He doesn't. He doesn't really ever find out about her gambling. No, of course not. He finds out about her involvement with Skipper Creek, but he doesn't really find out about her gambling. No. And uh, so she still kept that a secret. And Eddie never knew. Now, this is the big, big question of the day. No, seriously. No, okay. <laughs> no boy. Eddie I, is a, is a great character, and Gene is great. So is this the end for them, or are you going to write a sequel? Oh. Oh. I know. I love – that's my favorite question. <laughs> oh, that's a – well, what Brand, are you that's a very next? tough question. Um, well, I, I could think of a whole, have a whole another, other plot lines for this one too. <laughs> uh, I have a I have a story and I have written a story oh, about. Uh, it's not about horse racing. It's about okay. a story I covered when I was a reporter. Well, that's even and, better. <laughs> and it's a it's a really interesting story. I think it's interesting about. Uh, simply stated, it's about a crime, it's about a robbery and a murder that the police know who did it, how they did it, mm. when they did it, and uh, everything about it. And the case will never be solved. Even though the police mm. know exactly what happened, the case will never be solved. Um, and the police know it and are very comfortable with that resolution. They're not going to solve a case, and they're okay with it. Because they Sounds already know like the cover-up, but it doesn't sound like cold justice that anybody's going to come and investigate except the family says can you figure out? And then the police don't want, want to do anything anyway. They'll just say, we did everything we want. That's scary. Right. That sounds like a yeah. good one. Uh, so There's, that's... Oh, uh, my God. That's really the next story I have. Uh, um, as a, as, and I did that when I was... You know, I learned that story when I was a reporter, and my question to the, to the cop was, wait a minute, you know who did it? Yes. Why? Yes. How? Yes. You know who murdered this, this person? Yes. And you're not going to bring them to justice? And his response was, they've been brought to justice. They're kind of justice. <laughs> yeah. Not, not their regular kind of justice. Well, I should no, let you write the story not. about somebody in my family that died under suspicious circumstances. Maybe you could figure it oh. out. I mean, I figured oh, it out, really? but yeah, I, I can't say it on the yeah. It's just very, very weird. My sister had a heart attack on June 26, 2010, and I wasn't called until eight o'clock at night. And I was told by the person, "Don't bother to come; she's going to die anyway." And I, the expletives that came out of my mouth. I spent quite a number of, of days at LIG North, LIJ North Shore where the doctors and nurses told me just give up. I said, I won't give up until the person that 
stole my health packs, he gave up and pulled the plug because he was cheating on her. So, that, that, that's, that's a great like, story. Yeah, it's a true story. I have to tell you, yeah, it's a true story. There's a lot more into it. And the, the sad part is, I set up the funeral, I did everything, and then the person said, well, she was your sister, I think you should pay for the funeral. And I can't repeat what I said. It, it gets worse. It gets worse. But anyway, I hope you write this one so I could read it and, and talk about it. So everybody, on February 28th, for those of you that would like to talk about your new book, the characters, why you wrote it, anything else, just let me know because I've already have um, – one of my students said that he might have somebody – Cindy McDonald's going to join me. That should be fun because she has some wild ideas. I'm going to talk about mirror image. For those of you that don't know the craziness, I write horror. And mirror image means that if you did something wrong, the mirror is going to replay it. So you can watch how you did it that was wrong. The mirror is going to tell you if you don't replay it the right way, you're going to be replaying it as a face in the mirror forever. That's mirror image. Seriously. How interesting. It is, not only is it interesting, but it's based on true stories, some of it. The second part is people whose voices were silenced, people that were wrongly accused, and people that deserve whatever I did. In my face is it's told from the point of view of the dead person behind the gravestone. When my sister died, and I went to her um, unveiling, which I ran, did all the work, and I said to her, Marsha Joyce, if you could tell me what happened, what would you say? And I walked around the cemetery, and I said, Mr. Jones, Mr. Sepp, I said, wouldn't that be a cool thing for a book? And in the first one, Faces Behind the Stones, I didn't exactly tell the story as her, but I sort of wrote it, in, in a sense. So, where can everybody find out about where to get The Last Horseman? Well, uh, book? it is, it's on Amazon, uh, and, you know, you can look. For my name, Robert Mazarov, or you can look for The Last Horseman. It's, it's not, there have been other things with that title. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I know. The, uh, mostly, the mostly true story of Midwestern Housewives. Um, well, um, so it's on Amazon, and uh, it's not in a lot of bookstores, but it's in a few. But you can get it on Amazon, or uh, if you reach out to me, I can. Uh, direct you to how to get it directly from the publisher. And if you Google yourself, you're going to realize, like I did this morning, that mirror image is all over the world in book companies and organs that I never heard of. Thrill. Mm. So if you Google yourself, you're going to realize that you're everywhere, even in Japan, China, UK, and everywhere, and all sorts of bookstores that you never heard of that are going to charge people to download your uh PDF. I'm serious. So thank you so much. This brightened my day. And everyone, it's a beautiful day outside. I can't believe the sun is shining. It stopped raining. And um, do you still work with horses ever? I do not. Uh, I follow them uh, and I follow the races and I've been to a few races in the past year or so. Uh, but no, I'm not really, I'm not involved in horse racing at all. Uh, but I, I do want to really thank you for naming The Last Horseman as the best original novel. And mm-hmm. I, I, 
I want to thank you for reading it. I, I just, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I, I do. I love it. Nobody's getting this one either. They're going to have to buy it themselves on Amazon. <laughs> I, I give away my books to my UPS guy when he brings me books to review. For real. We have a deal. <laughs> Then my next door neighbor, who didn't know me, stopped me in the hall. He said, I'm taking those. I said, boy, am I getting popular. I do. And then I give them to my dermatologist when I visit every couple of months, just to see, just to give them books, no other reason. So I never have to worry about keeping them. But, Rob, this has been fun. Thank you so much. Everybody, stay safe, stay true to who you are, and have a great day. And bye. really did read that book. I'm impressed.